In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by Liz Mall, host of the Deconstructing the Myth podcast, to discuss the role and value of deconstructing and questioning your beliefs, as well as discussing the characteristics and tenets that define a responsible faith. The conversation in this episode is inspired by the topics and themes of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoy today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and welcome to episode 10, the finale episode of season two. On this episode, the final episode of the season, I am joined by Liz Mall of the Deconstructing the Myth podcast, which is a podcast I've guested on and I've recently become a very, a very big fan of. So I'm excited to talk with her today. Liz, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's fun to reconnect after interviewing you. I've had a lot of good response to your episode. So I'm excited oh, to great. be on the other end. The other of... side of the spectrum. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's always interesting being a podcaster, being on a podcast. Huh? It's always yeah. a different dynamic. Yes. I, do you find this where you're like, now I want to ask you a question. Now I need right. to know your, and you're like, wait, I've actually had some people say, okay, enough with the questions, like answer like, what up, I asked up, you. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's so true. Cause exactly. I mean, I started, I, I guess I started being a guest first. So it was different the other way around going okay, and asking yeah. the questions first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm talking too much. I need to shut up and let them answer the questions. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's a different hack for sure. So. Really I'm excited is. to be here for sure. That's awesome. Liz, I could spend some time telling people about who you are and what you do, but I think it'd be much easier if you told us yourself. So I'm going to ask you this first question here. To start, would you mind telling us a bit about yourself and mm -hmm. your background, particularly in regards to your church and faith journey? Yes, I will. So I live in Kansas now. I grew up in Kansas and okay. I grew up in a very, well, I grew up on a farm actually, um, oh, really? which ties into my faith a little bit because my siblings are much, much older, well, 10 and 12 years. So I think enough of a gap that they technically, you know, in studies often say you end up kind of adopting only child mentality sometimes when that happens. Yeah. And, um, I was on this farm, you know, I went to public school, but spent a lot of time alone and faith was hugely important to me from a really young age. I would say, you know, started really thinking about it, uh, around six, seven, eight. My parents went to the only church in town next to us, which was a Methodist church. And it was very small. I think we had like 20 people. Say, it sounds pretty small. <laughs> it was the only one. Wait, how many people? Like 20. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so small, small. <laughs> like we're talking like, yeah, like the uh, like a homeschool church. Is that a thing? You know, yeah. I don't know. It was very, very well, Yeah, small. right. Which when yeah. you came on my show, it was such a different background. I was like, yeah. Austin is the kid I wish I was when I was in school. I was like, he hey, was like doing that. the thing, you know, you were doing, which it came at its price, but I was like, that was not yeah. my experience. But mm. faith, like it was so deeply personal because of that. I mean, I was one of the very few kids, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I will say early on, I was really terrified 
of hell because early on I had skepticism, which has yeah. played into where I'm at now and with my podcast now, you know, uh, all these years later. But early on, I remember thinking before I even had the language to articulate it, I don't know if any of this is real. I don't know if this is real. I I, I think naturally I am actually bent towards atheism, which is so interesting sure. because I've had such beautiful and intense spiritual moments that I, I do believe were Christ, but it's like this natural inclination. So anyway, early on, lots of fear and anxiety personally that I did not share with anyone, you know, about, am I going to hell? Is the rapture going to happen? You know, that's kind of, you yeah. hear those stories a lot in deconstruction, but, but the faith that was cultivated eventually was so rich and beautiful. And I did feel like I had a very personal ongoing relationship with God. And I did really feel like, oh, if people could just see the world through the God lens, like it would, I just, I, you know, when you talk about sharing the gospel and, and I've had people on my show say, oh, I felt like I needed to do that. And that was so terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, even as yeah. a child for me, something rich happened where I wanted to do that. I wanted people to kind of enter into this thing that I had found, but it definitely came at its costs. Um, mm -hmm. there, the, the faith that, Eventually, I would turn to in my moments of anxiety, depression, later in life, some honestly suicidal thoughts. That faith pulled me out of that. God, I would say, even did. But looking back now, I'm like, also that faith contributed to that, or at least sure. my understanding oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of it deeply mm -hmm. contributed to that. So I'm kind of going all over the place. But from a very young age, it was deeply personal to me. So even though I, I will say like many, I grew up in a Christian home and everything, it did kind of feel like it took on its own thing for me young. However, when I did my undergrad, it was in music ministry, um, have always been really big into music. And I stumbled into this nerdy little club called Apologetics Club, mm -hmm. which blew my mind because it was like the skeptic in me was getting things answered. Like this club was extremely informal. It was just really the one of the theology professors who'd come and sit and people would ask him questions. And I was like yeah. a loose cannon. And I would just ask him my hardest questions. And he had an answer. That was the thing. I was like, oh my goodness, someone has an answer. It was mm. one of the most amazing things. And I told myself, if I ever get a master's degree, it's going to be in apologetics. Like, what do you do with that? Who knows? I was sure. like, I don't I don't know. I'd find something that needs to be it. Because if everyone had these arguments, everyone would be a Christian. You know, the world would be safe and saved and all, yeah. all this stuff. So I was super fortunate. Um, well, I kind of made a poor decision, actually. <laughs> when I was pregnant, I wasn't sure if I was uh, with my son, I was pregnant. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this whole stay at home mom thing. Cause we had decided, mm. you know, just looking at my current job and the costs of childcare, we're like, this is the best option. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if that's going to be my jam. I've saved money. Can I start my master's too? Like, that'll be a good idea to yeah. have to start my online <laughs> master's my first year of having a child. Yeah. Turned out to be a poor, poor, poor idea in the sense of my like <laughs> physical and mental well-being. But um was able to do that master's degree and mm. finished it after having three children. So let me just I will just advise if anyone takes a piece of advice from this, <laughs> don't do your master's degree when you are literally burying your children. Yeah. That's not, that's maybe not the time in life to do it. It was very difficult. Learn responsible time management. It really wasn't. I thought it was a good idea. I really did. Yeah. 
Because I was like, I love school. Will I love my children? No, I'm just kidding. Will I love being at home? <laughs> one's a certainty. One's, one one's you know, on the table still, on the chopping block. <laughs> I'm not quite sure yet. Exactly. That was the train of thought. So anyways, did, started this master's degree, went pretty slowly through it and was loving it. To be honest, I was loving it. I was like, wow, this is bolstering my faith so much. It was an evangelical mm. university. And then some things just started not adding up in the way I had hoped. Mm. And I remember thinking, okay, this is an argument for an evangelical Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that that's the best argument. I, I don't, I think an atheist could give a better argument. And as I progressed mm. in my degree, you know, I was lucky in a sense it was all online. There's a buffer yeah. when you're online and you can write in a forum. <laughs> And so I would say things, you know, like, what, what what, about when an atheist might say or whatever, you know, and it's kind of like, I'm actually wondering this myself. And, and I was the harshest, I shouldn't say harshest, but one of the few people doing that, it felt, mm. and one of the, you know, most pushing in that direction. And it was frustrating because I can only go so far. I don't have the best atheist argument. I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, yeah. right? Right. And, and yet some of these things... Even from a Christian perspective, I remember thinking, I don't know. And it got to the point where it was really taxing on my mm. mental and emotional health. I, I told my husband, I signed this document of belief and I don't, like every single item is an open case for me now, basically, mm. you know, yeah. and, and I, I felt really guilty and torn about that. Do I quit this degree? We've put all this money into this. Like, what's the most honest thing? Mm. And we... Ended, it ended up that my last few credits, I asked if I could do an independent study where I interviewed people for a podcast who were leaving church, leaving the evangelical church in particular. And of course, an apologetics degree, they're like, yeah, she's going to. I mean, I assumed they never said this, but they're like, what yeah. a witness opportunity. She mm -hmm. is trained. She's going to get on there and, you know, whatever. She's going to last one back in. Exactly. Bring it back yeah. in. And. It really, I told my my professor, I was like, I will do a little, but I said, I just really want to hold space for these stories. Is that okay? And got permission for that. And so that really is where season one came from. I got permission for that. I also think there was something in my mind that knew, you know, if this was going to be a successful endeavor, I have to have a deadline. I have to have someone, I, like the grade, yeah. You know, I'm a Enneagram three. And so there's something about mm -hmm. these deadlines and these things that is very helpful for me to actually complete the project. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's how season one came about. And, you know, it wasn't a huge, as, as many podcasts are, it wasn't a huge following or anything, but yeah. it was so meaningful, so meaningful. And I thought these are the, these people I'm interviewing who have left evangelicalism. Many went to atheism, agnosticism. Others went to other, you know, branches of Christianity. Yeah. I was like, that's the conversation I've been craving and and not not able to hear these perspectives. I've been trained. I've been literally trained in this one avenue, but mm -hmm. without any actual person right. to try it out with. <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I mean? To try out the arguments with, except my own inner skeptic. And so so it it got a good enough response. My friend Jenny and I decided to do a research season next where we we call it, you know, deconstructing. Bible passages is the word we would use, deconstruction. But really, it's a deep dive in these Bible passages, um, yeah. taking them apart, which truly is the heart, I think, of deconstruction, taking something apart to investigate. When we're talking about faith, that word deconstruction yeah. means that. Anyways, season two, 
was great. Um, a different kind of thing than season three, which you were on back to interviews. Anyways, it's continued to gain interest. The podcast has, and I think really this is something people just are craving to talk about and craving to unpack. And it wasn't just me. I'm so happy to know I'm not the only one You're sitting not in these crazy. classes. Yeah. Thinking right. what's mm-hmm. going on. And, you know, Austin, having people like you on the show really helped me realize for me, this has been such a personal inner thing about kind of yeah. almost an intellectual endeavor. And then to look at people and say, oh, wow, no, there's also these harmful practices mm-hmm. that are misrepresenting you know, the gospel or that are harming people. And, and wow, that's almost a side I, I thankfully was in many ways untouched by, which is wild. I think because I came from such a small community, I remember hearing stories of, of, of women who were, you know, told they couldn't serve communion or anything. And part of it's, I think Mm. the Methodist church, even though it's even more in that direction now, even in the past, um, it was like, Oh, Oh, Elizabeth, Liz wants to like do something. Come, we don't have people come up here. Like, you know what I mean? So it was a very different Uh sort of welcoming, truly different experience that many people have. But all of that to say, my personal deconstruction has been, it's been something. It has been beautiful and messy. And lately, to be honest, it's felt like grief in ways Mm. that I wasn't expecting. Part of it might be the time of year being (laughs) wintertime. I'm aware that plays into it, but it's just Uh been such an interesting thing. And in many ways, I feel like I'm closer to Christ than I've ever been. And then in many ways, I'm like, what am I? (laughs) Like, can I, you know, like, am I, uh, people will get tons of commenters will be like, you're not even a Christian. You're not this, you know? And so it's one of those things where you're just like, I guess here we are. This giant experiment continues for a while uh, online. (laughs) so um yeah that's i i hope that wasn't too long that is sort of where i've come from and where i'm at currently and i don't know the nice thing about my podcast is you know i in in the holding space i i think that leaves room for me too because i don't fully know where i will land on different issues on different beliefs and and I want to keep it that way because, and, yeah. and that's why I like to invite a variety of guests in particular, because I think that I'm really focused on encouraging people to search though, like mm-hmm. more than telling them what to think and what to believe. That's a big part of my show is here. Here are some issues with what we've believed. What are we going to do now? Yeah. Uh, we may, we may approach that differently. And, um, but, but to keep an encouragement of that pursuit of truth and um, a more authentic faith, I think, or belief system is the goal. I love that. That that you hit the what I was going to say right at the end there. The authentic authenticity mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. It's for my podcast and for my books. That's doing that. That has been one of the biggest. I don't know freedoms of it, reliefs of it. Yeah. The the feeling that signifies that I'm doing what I feel like I'm I'm in the right space because yeah. it feels authentic. Mm-hmm. and not like um you talked about like the conversations being so free and because one aspect is for me it was that there was not a there's always a bias for something because yeah. we're people but there's yeah. no bent mm. towards a necessary outcome like it's not oh like like this is I mean, a common thing in in churches and deconstruction and doubt it's oh yeah do your thing but gear it back towards christianity Make sure yes. your landing spot is this, which, okay, being able to doubt a little bit is great. But if 
you're if you need to be funneled back into the same thing, then first off, that doubt has no margin to actually do any significant change mm-hmm. if it needs to. And it won't allow you to rethink anything if you need if you're supposed to land in the same place, right? Yeah. Um such a good and you can't truly question your faith unless you are allowing the possibility of those tenets of your faith to no longer stand if you end up being at a resolution that doesn't authentically support those things or believe those things, right? So it sounds like for you and for me and my podcast, like having those conversations where, oh, it doesn't need to end on this note if it doesn't go that way. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I found I oftentimes land in that space more times than I thought I would because Mm -hmm. I've just authentically found myself back there in a stronger resolution of it. But then other things, I'm way different now because I have the yeah. freedom to do so, which yeah. makes the whole thing actually actually worth the process. Otherwise, it wouldn't be. Yeah. But I mean, I, I love that. And it's, it's relatable to me and I'm sure a lot of other people that that same kind of process. We, we're on this topic of you mentioned deconstruction, which mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because in my book, I think I only mentioned the word deconstruction once in the entire mm-hmm. book. Just because I want it to be thought of in other ways as well, because sometimes that loaded term can be oh, it's labeled. So loaded. Oh, it's yeah. So loaded. <laughs> and, and, and it can give so many preconceived notions that I wanted people not to be defensive about it and not mm-hmm. to also feel like they have to fall in line with that term and be shoveled into that direction if it's not exactly what they're, th- what they're feeling, right? Yes. But I wanted to talk with you. I mean, your podcast is titled Deconstructing, <laughs> Deconstructing the Myth, right? <laughs> so. You're the person for this. Oh I, I love to talk about this because even on this podcast, the term has come up several <laughs> times and people know that's the thing that, yeah. that is through these conversations. It's a through line, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, we've never addressed it head on as what this is and, and our thoughts about this specifically on this podcast. So in your mind, I also want to ask you this, in your mind, generally, what is the role or value in deconstruction? Mm-hmm. I'll start there. What is the role and value? and I also add, what are any inherent risks or negatives to construction in your mind? If if so, what? If not, then whatever. Exactly, Austin. Let me let me just tell you that I think the questions you just asked, if if that was the approach everyone in the church had to this unruly batch of people. <laughs> who, are de- who call themselves deconstructionists? I think the yeah. con- like the conversation we would find so much more common ground. I I remember mm. I have so many thoughts. I'm gonna just tell you to start off with. Give me all of them. Let's go. I will give you all the time. Okay, let me just start off with how I even came to the term personally. How I was introduced to the good. Term. Okay, mm-hmm. I did not know deconstruction actually is rooted in a philosophy uh, by Jacques Derrida. I I okay. mean that's something I found out later on. Um which doesn't even have to do with religion, but that's where that term kind of was coined. The other thing I did not know is that it was going to be this huge machine in a way of um, a movement of sorts. And I actually do think it will come to define church history, to be honest, Mm -hmm. Um, in some, or it will come to have an important role in that. But when I came to the turn, I was in the middle of my master's degree scrolling Instagram. And I mean, I followed all these Christians, all these, you know, I was, I was, I was, I am, you know, I was, I was very Christian minded, evangelical. And Mm -hmm. I'm scrolling through and some, I don't even remember the post. I didn't save it, but someone just talked about when their walk with God, they were deconstructing the faith. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that word was like, what a perfect word. I'd never heard it before. Never saw it before. 
thought that is the perfect word for describing this because I thought the thought of deconstructing, just looking at the word with no background, the thought mm -hmm. of taking something apart. I was like, that's what I'm doing in my master's. That's what I've been doing behind the scenes. That is such a perfect word. And so I remember when, even way before I even presented the idea of my podcast to my professor, I thought it's going to be called Deconstructing the Myth, which is funny because if you know me, you might be like this as a creative. All these like yeah. brain children we have for projects, we're like, ooh. Yep. And then we like, I think like I take so long thinking of like 5 million titles or whatever for mm -hmm. things, like albums, I used to do that. I And like- oh, Every podcast things. episode, I do that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Till the ninth there. hour. Still, yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know the drill. You get it. So, but for this, it just it just came, and I and I I thought it'll be deconstructing the myth, and I was like, that sounds. I actually thought to myself, I was like, that sounds kind of manly, which is weird. I usually tend towards really girly things, <laughs> yeah. in general aesthetic, like you know, I don't know. I was mm -hmm. like, or not manly, but just not my norm. But I was like, that would be it, and so yeah. And the thought was, my professor actually loved it. He said that is sort of ambiguous. Like, what exactly is the myth? What it is? is it's intriguing. You no. Know? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I've had some Christians in comments, especially one comment stuck out to me where they made all these assumptions about me. And I said, why do you think sure. I'm not a follower of Christ? And they said, well, the title of your podcast is Deconstructing the Myth. Clearly, you think Christianity is a myth. <laughs> and I thought I was like, this is actually fascinating to look at because you think it is clear, but it's actually not. Like when I right. when I came to part of why I titled it that way is I want to deconstruct myths i don't know what they are they might be myths right. about christianity they might be myths that you know the skeptics of it say they might be myths within it i just want to deconstruct things right so yeah. from a personal standpoint that's where i'm coming from i do fall in line in many ways with what people will commonly associate with deconstruction now because it has kind of taken on a body of its own uh, that yeah. sometimes i really am unhappy about because in other ways, I really don't feel like I identify with how people think of people in deconstruction. So, and mm. that's sort of true of almost any term, right? That, that is true. Sure. So yeah. we have to kind of keep that in mind. But the role and the value of deconstruction, I think, is so, so important. And you don't even have to, I don't care if people call it deconstruction. I've had people use the word right. disentangle. They're like, would you? Reevaluating. Whatever. Yes. I'm like, mm -hmm. you. that's fine. I mean, I do have a few hangups about it, which I'll get into sure. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think the need to redefine it. I'll, I'll get into that later. <laughs> I think there's some problems yeah. with that sometimes. And I, cause I think deconstructing is the most, it's the best word for it as a word, the, the word itself, it is exactly what it is really is. And you know, people will bring up like, you don't even know the philosophy. Well, I, and let me just give a little brief history lesson here. Yeah. So Dr. Ritta used the word deconstruction and he talked about how it had more to do with text and when mm -hmm. we read language, and he talked about how words change meaning over time. So we have to be very careful, especially when it comes to literature, that we are reading things and trying to kind of understand the original intent of those words, which on the head, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, well, duh. But, yeah, he, right. but he really takes it down to an infinite level. Like when you say this word, well, what did it mean? Here, what did it mean here? What and it, it, he kind mm. of you can turn it into almost nonsense, not into oblivion, like nothing means yeah. anything. Mm -hmm. So I think that that same train of thought it's it's often tied to postmodernism, and I think people are like, oh, that's what you're doing with the faith. But I think right. when it comes to faith deconstruction, most people don't even know that that's mm -hmm. where that term initially was coined. Yeah, but it, I mean, that principle of trying to understand how words change over time does come into play. 
And I, I think, like you said, the word itself, deconstruction, is like so needed. That word mm-hmm. is so needed, I think, because we, especially in America, are often so unaware of how much of our faith has been inherited, how much right. of it has been unquestioned, how much, and we really are unaware of any harm done. Mm-hmm. by our faith, often to others and to ourselves, especially if we are in communities that believe very similarly. We we don't, it's it's funny, it's like we pray over and over for to be delivered of the same things and we're not. And we're like, well, God must have something more. And sometimes it's like, well, no, right. we haven't actually, it's like we're in the waiting room calling the surgeon on the phone mm-hmm. and he's like, no, come in here. We need to take a look. Like, I don't right. know. That's, like, we need to take a no, look at actually what's yeah. going on. And, and mm-hmm. so I, I just think deconstruction is a much needed audit of the faith yeah. and it is going to be painfully messy. It already is. Yeah. And in many ways, people are afraid, you know, you're tearing the church apart when you're in deconstruction. You're, you're, it's going to divide. And yes, I would say, mm-hmm. yes, it is to a degree. Yeah. However, I also think Christ is bigger than Christianity, which I'll get into later. And I think that this yeah. is going to lead, that sounds like a very loaded statement, but I'll get into that later. But I think that, this sort of thing, you know, I, I had someone say, and I'd have to kind of look back in my church history book that I technically still have. They said every 500 years, there's a great kind of mm-hmm. rumbling in the church. And we're, we're due. We're due for The clock's it. ticking, man. It Check is. the calendars. And, yep. and I think that there is, you know, that, that needed awareness and, and a responsible faith. I really think that many of us have been living without a responsible faith. And- mm. There are reasons for that because our yeah. faith in many ways is like the thing that kind of keeps us very structured and very mm-hmm. stable. So it's not that I can fully fault us for having an irresponsible faith because to question automatically means there will be instability. Like right. that means that, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's part, it goes along with it. So I understand more than ever. And I wouldn't have said this earlier in my podcasting days. Yeah. I, I do sympathize with people who are very afraid of it or who are very opposed to it. And I did not as much before, but I have also always had that atheist bent. So I, I'm understanding right. the more I understand it um, and the more I understand how pivotal this faith is to our identities, even apart from Christ, like the yeah. faith, the more I understand that it can be really, really scary and difficult and it is painful, but it's coming. <laughs> like it's, it's coming. Right. I don't care. You know, we can use whatever yeah. term we want. It's coming. And I think in the end, it will be a good thing, but it's going to be painful for a lot of us, I think, to investigate at the level that is required. And part of that's because of social media. A big part of that's because of mm-hmm. social media. Anyone can say anything on social media. Anyone can question. We're all harsher on social media and our, I mean, oh, yeah. I try so hard not to be right, but it's so much easier to be like, you know, Hey, here's my extremely good point that I think is great in my head. And I can't actually hear or see your faces, mm-hmm. you know? So when it comes, when you asked, is there an inherent risk or negative to deconstruction? I would say that instability, it is part of it. Mm-hmm. And that is scary. And that is hard. But I also think the reward, like you talked about, you've landed in many ways, back where you began but it's with a difference it's almost like a more mature well you you'll have to tell me for you if it's this way it's, sure. it's a different kind of relationship or a different kind of understanding of your faith that is one that is built not only on inherited values mm-hmm. inherited understanding it's built on experience and wrestling it's built on conviction that's 
I'd say intellectual and ethical conviction, not just the sort of, you know, Holy Spirit conviction, which is of course important, but a, yeah. a, a conviction, you know, if we're to love God with all heart, soul, and mind, like we need to get the rest on board too. Right. Not just, you know, and, and, and for so long, I think the church has, um, and the church, not even just evangelicalism has really upheld a faith that doesn't question as true faithfulness. Right. And I think that was a mistake. I think that there is a point where we can't have more answers. And that's the point, you know, we can say, okay, well, I, what do I choose at this point? But I think that we've used that as an excuse to not ask the needed questions up to that point about mm-hmm. our beliefs, ethical, are they practical? Are they true? Are they actually right. true? You uh-huh. know? And, and so I, anyways, that's kind of a long tangent, but I think there are, no, no, there no. are risks. There are emotional risks. There will be risks to our community having unity, but I do think the long-term benefit is worth it and is, is needed if we're to be really responsible people of faith, not simply cultural believers of a religion, you know? So I guess that's where I am today on it. And it, it is also kind of frustrating to me how it is deconstructions become so tied to angry people. Who, no, you know, you're not you know, wrong. It's, yeah. It's to angry people who are, I, I would say the character, character, how do you say this word? Caricature. <laughs> caricature that's what i tried to say i've literally tried to spell it in my head so i can say anyways that that word that people have about deconstruction are of Mm -hmm. angry people who have been you know slightly wounded at church and who um really want to just not be christians they just don't want it we're following their hearts and their deceitfulness and whatever and i will say i i don't think that's that may be some but deconstruction comes often with such a personal cost mm-hmm. that I think the people that really do want to do that often just fade away or they just blend into church. The ones that speak mm-hmm. out often, it's I, I don't think it is as much them just wanting to leave the faith as people think. And I also don't think, you know, yes, in some ways we may be becoming, I, I, I've kind of questioned this, are we becoming more easily offendable as a society? And maybe- yes. But at the same time, I think think so. Potentially, well, you could definitely say so. However, the the other side of that is we're becoming more easily offendable because we're also pointing out things that have been swept under the rug. So it's kind of like a two-edged No, that's true too. Mm -hmm. And and, and it's like, where's the balance? Because you can do one... You can do one of those too much. You know, you can be... Anyway, that's another tangent for another day. But all of that to say, there are people who adopt this word deconstruction and look very much like the Christian that you feel like you could trust your life with if you're still a Christian. Mm. And there are people who deconstruct and look very much like an atheist, you know, a wild raving atheist, <laughs> which not, I'm also surprised to find many of these atheists that I assumed were wild and raving are not actually. Right. So that's been an interesting. So all of this is to say, you know, there is something that comes along with that word that will pop into people's heads potentially. And it's not fully wrong, but the process mm-hmm. by which this term has come about and the process that is allowing, I think is something that everyone in the church should in some capacity engage in for a more responsible faith and to interact with these people. Well, because I think part of the time when people in the, when Christians in the church who are against deconstruction are so against it um, and so have such a reaction against it, 
what would be more helpful is to be able to engage well with the arguments as opposed mm. to demonizing maybe that's a little well that's not strong i will no, say on my own page strong. i have been demonized <laughs> i've yeah. been told that i am working for the enemy so mm. you know go to my page if you can all see if that's true or not but anyway super long tangent on that those are my thoughts on deconstruction at this moment in no time. that's what i asked for <laughs> i mean i have a lot of thoughts but let's see what what, what should i say um <laughs> Okay, I have, and they're they're all kind of disconnected based on different points of what you said, but one thought I had was that whole idea of that journey of deconstruction and how what I mentioned about starting, kind of ending in the place that I wasn't forced to go to back into the kind of the same place mm. I was, but much different. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a screenwriter. That's I went to school for filmmaking and screenwriting. Mm-hmm. So I think of, what, it's funny, I didn't think about what I said, but when you reverberated what I said, I thought about it. It's... <laughs> The story structure of a movie or a book, it's the normal world. It starts off with the normal world. Then the call to adventure. The character goes on the adventure. Then the climax. Then the, the falling action. And then the resolution, which is also called the return to the new world or to the, to the, mm. to the ordinary world. It's many stories, like the epilogue of the story, like not the epilogue meaning after the credits, but the epilogue meaning the last like 15 minutes of a movie, mm-hmm. is usually the character back in not every movie, but a lot of movies are the character ends up in the same world that he was in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. But he's a much different person and has a much different perspective on the world he's in. Mm-hmm. That's 80% of movies and, and, and books are like that. Yeah. And it's so resonant for me in how it is where, I mean, to say I'm in the same world seems like an oversimplification because in so many ways, I feel like I'm such, in, a, such a, in a different outlook on it all in mm-hmm. a different place. But I believe many of the same things mm-hmm. there are many things i don't things i've dropped and things i've reevaluated but the things that i believe that i believed then i believe in a much different way and outlook one because i see those things and those beliefs and ideas and practices differently but also because myself i per- i now perceive those things differently because of the journey i've been on mm-hmm. so and that's all through deconstruction and, and just I, I don't know i being a screenwriter, I, I like that comparison. That's but, very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just the ordinary world you start and end in. And then, which leads me to a risk as you were talking, I thought about, okay, well, risk. Is that a risk to me? Is that a risk to my church? And which are different things mm-hmm. when you see someone who's reevaluating, questioning their beliefs, right? And a risk I thought of, which is applied differently to either a church or to the individual going through it is the potential loss of faith, right? Or, or, mm-hmm. or, or re or, or different approach or, you know, not the same. Yes. Whatever a, a definition of what you believe and how you believe it, because even I'm not saying just, Oh, Christian or non-Christian. I'm saying, Oh, there's, how many denominations of Christians and how many mm-hmm. different churches that believe slightly different things, or if you don't yeah. fit that, then you don't, you're now a square peg in a, in a, in a, in a circular, right? Yeah. It's not going to work anymore. And for a church leader in a church that, you know, has not fostered a, an environment of supporting that and they don't know how to, right? You see someone question your, their beliefs and the risk to you is if, if more than one of their staples of their faith, alters they're mm-hmm. not going to fit here anymore mm-hmm. and we don't want to lose them so what are we going to do yeah and then on the other side is 
to that person. Oh, the risk is, oh man, if I reevaluate something and deconstruct this and I no longer believe that staple, I'm not going to fit there. So what am I going to do? And, but yet for the individual, what you said is right. Kind of like that can also be a really big win in terms of, it's always a win when you let go of something you believe was harmful or saw as harmful that you didn't realize before. That's a win. Or you change your perspective on something that makes it more authentic to you, more in line with what you believe Christianity or God is. Mm-hmm. That's always such a win. So it's, it's a loss, but at the same time, it's a gain. Um, but I don't know where my resolution is all that, but I'm saying like the difference between church perspective of the risk and loss and the threat and the individual. It's very That's interesting. That's a really good point. Yeah. They're very, they are different. And, and the funny thing is I've, I actually have a harder time seeing it from the institutionalized. And what yeah. I mean by that is like the church body, uh, mm-hmm. church. I have a harder time with that. I think in part because of my past growing up in yeah. a study church, having it being so individual. And I think one thing I have worked in churches though, I will say. So I've seen some of yeah. this and I've seen to try and keep everything moving, all the parts moving. But I think the thing that I come back to, and it's easy now for me to say that as someone who's not working in a church, but right. it's, I try to adopt a bigger, a, a lens that is more, like I, I've mentioned the church history lens before, yeah. but a more zoomed out lens as far as if we're actually dealing with truth, if we're mm-hmm. actually dealing with ultimate truth, then the questions of what it will do to our systems has to be secondary. Now, that's mm. important because those systems, like I said, keep us stable. And everything you mentioned still t- it ties into that idea of the instability yeah. that deconstruction causes. And our stability, I do think, is important to God as a community and as individuals. Sure. So it is important. However, I think deconstruction will be revealing the greater truths that we have suppressed, intentionally mm-hmm. or not, as a as a collective group of religious people who are Christians. And so I think you are absolutely right that it will disrupt congregations. It will sadly probably disrupt people's livelihoods at times. Oh yeah. Certainly uh-huh. it has for people who've deconstructed and who, who are like, I can't actually stay in this position. It's not authentic anymore. That is, I've right. interviewed those people and I admire them so much because I have not had to have any sort of hit like that in my life. And that is, that is a hit. Yeah. And to lose your body of friends and all of that, that is such a personal hit. However, mm-hmm. I think to live as much as you can in an understanding of what is actually true, what is actually good. Like if we actually believe Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then pursuing truth and pursuing what gives. And he also talks, he came to give abundant life. And that's when people talk about church practices and, and church practices being harmful. I think we forget like to some degree, if it is not giving abundant life, there is something that is missing Christ mm-hmm. in it at that point. Mm-hmm. And and I bring that up to say that it's one of those things that I think is the long game. The disruption to the individual. I will tell you, like when I talk about grief for me individually, yeah. it has been hard this it has been hard this season because I have realized it's funny, like I, you spend so much of your life trying to build your identity on Christ. And then mm-hmm. when you come to this point, you're like, Christ became my coping mechanism. And I don't know, right. that's not that's not exactly like I can't actually fully love Christ when I'm dependent in this particular way. Like there is a way we're supposed to be dependent, but I don't think it is as our 
full on coping mechanism with our existence, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, oh, it does. But, no, no, no. Yeah. but anyways, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but you are absolutely right. The individual risk and the more corporate risk are different. But I think the broader risk of what our religion will turn into if we don't mm -hmm. take time to do this is much too, much too dangerous. Like the broader risk of the track of, of not questioning, of not mm. digging in, like we will become the devils that we are trying to preach against. Like we will, you know, mm. I, I mean, history has shown that over and over in different religions and within Christianity. So yeah. it's, it's, I just hope people can adopt sort of the long game and view. And I hope that gives some sort of encouragement in the meantime, as we see some of the unrest that is both in our, you know, in our church bodies mm -hmm. and in our individual lives. So. That's huge that you mentioning the the risk if we if this doesn't happen yeah on an individual scale and thus on a groups on a larger scale right start the individual and it becomes yeah. you know, right the personal risk the institutional risk but the risk of what will happen and what we already are, I'm, we're already yeah. seeing we're seeing glimpses of that through the mirror of oh that snowball going down the hill is gaining mass right and we're seeing as more people move towards this thing the pushback to hold ground almost. Mm -hmm. I mean, talking about becoming the devil that we preach against. I just imagine like if you could see, which I mean, this we'll, we'll never know this, but if we could see a chart of all the tallies of the number of people that the devil, I, I put in quotes because we can define the devil as many different things, right? Whether it's a, a, a physical, tangible devil or it's different things that devil inspire, whatever a church may attribute to be the devil, right? If we had a chart of all the numbers of people that the devil has led away from the church and from God, and then a chart of the number of people that the church has led away from God and the church, they'd be comparable. I don't know what that final tally would be, but they'd be comparable to each other. So I think we're already seeing glimpses of us becoming the devil that we're preaching against in many different cases because of this. But yeah, I'm just thinking of the damage that'll be done and the fallout that'll ensue institutionally yeah. and personally, mm -hmm. faith-wise, if these things aren't allowed to be approached because exactly. we're meant yeah. to approach them. Yeah. And you mentioned the word stability. Mm, One of the yeah. thought I had real quick was, my and this is not a long thought, it's a question. Because we can, you know, debate on what the term stability refers to in different scenarios, but I believe God ultimately desires our stability mm -hmm. but is that stability in our beliefs or is it in him oh such a good point yeah right oh that's stability, such a good point i like that we picture stability in, in a faith context so often in oh knowing what we believe being loyal to our church being consistent decide christians mm -hmm. that's stable or stable mm -hmm. and if we start questioning things oh it's getting kind of unstable mm -hmm. which it's not not it, it is becoming unstable but in a different context where that's the the physical stability of it all. But then yeah. Christ, and even in the depths of questioning your beliefs, questioning his existence, and his, that, that's totally real. Mm -hmm. There is still a level of being able to be stable in, in that resolution of, of I mean, maybe not when you're questioning him. That, that's, that's when it becomes unstable, right? It's so hard, yeah. But, but I don't think his greatest desire is for us to be stable in our beliefs because when we... When, when, the moment we find ourselves stable in our beliefs, we don't need to be dependent or stable on him. 
because mm. we have these things. And that makes it so much harder when we start questioning it because we don't have a, because that's what we have, our beliefs. Absolutely. And that's a whole different track, but that's just that's such like, a good such know. a good point because and that could actually take a whole episode this idea yeah. of at what point do you idolize beliefs but then at the same time it's like but wait my beliefs are my connection to him and the same thing for the bible right. the same thing for all these things and it's very tricky to unpack all that but i will say one of the things that has been a, a surprising bit of my own deconstruction journey is understanding you know when Paul writes about the peace that passes all understanding, it, mm -hmm. I've understood that in a different way because I thought like, what if, okay. And, and I actually encourage people to do this who are yeah. Christians who doubt or, or who question and doubt potentially concerning if there's no God at all. Cause not everyone who deconstructs does that, but I, I often yeah. say, okay, what would life look like if that was true? And how would you, how would you think? And I'm going to be honest with, with you. For me, there's a lot. I, I mean, I'm in therapy now and I'd have to go to more therapy. Like there's a lot yeah. that would be, it would be really rough. But one of the things I've mourned is the thought of, I've had such rich spiritual experiences. Was that all me? Yeah. Was that all, did I misunderstand this God? Like, what are you like? Hmm. What is this? And there was something, you know, you say that's the still small voice. I, this is, this happened within this past year where I was in this frenzy over like, what was it? What, what is it? And it was, this voice of, I am still who I am. I'm still right. who I am, you know? And it was this idea of, I have had a real relationship with what I believe is Christ. And I think that I'm realizing many of the things I thought about Christ were incorrect. And I don't mm -hmm. know what is correct. But when you start to realize, I do actually have this fundamental belief that you know, that Christ knows, that right. Christ knows me, that Christ understands me. That Christ, when that is placing it actually on Christ, and it's not to say we shouldn't try to understand or try to believe, but you really, yeah. I do feel like I've been in a cave and I've touched around. I'm like at the edges of my beliefs, and I'm like, okay, I still don't. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm in the dark. I can feel yeah. the perimeters, but like, I still don't know what exactly is going on here. But there is a different trust that has come in deconstruction that I never had before questioning, mm. and it's so. It's just such an interesting, ironic phenomenon so but i do think that's a really important point that beliefs we don't we aren't even aware of it but our yeah. beliefs can come to rival god sometimes and i don't know how you always unpack that but i do know that's become mm -hmm. really real to me as i have tried to to undo some of my constructs so that's a really good yeah. point that you brought up okay i wanted to harp on you said about trusting more than you ever have through your deconstruction and the first thought that came to mind was, of course, because you can't trust something that hasn't been tested. You don't trust something or someone until you've tested it. You've tested that trust, that bond, right? You don't trust whoever, think about whoever you, you trust most in the entire world, whether it's a parent or a best friend or whatever. You don't trust them until you learn that that trust is warranted, until there's something, some scenario in which that relationship is tested and that trust is tested and they prove that that trust is in the right hand and that you can trust them. So deconstruction and, you know, not just that label, but just questioning and analyzing intentionally the things we believe about God enables us to have, have trust that, oh, these are not just beliefs that I've inherited that I just believe because the pastor tells me to. They're beliefs that I, or attributes of God that I have come to intentionally take on and I know why I believe they're true 
And therefore, because I know and believe that they're true, I believe I can trust them. And that's where our trust comes from, from testing those things. I mean, often, <laughs> this can be maybe not all the way applied, but, usually, but in many cases, I would say in many, 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 many cases, if you get to a point where you're questioning the existence of God, mm-hmm. the God you're questioning doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Meaning the version of the God you're questioning, or at least the attributes of this version of God that are causing you to question and are causing problems in the way you're trying to make sense of God and, and the problem, the things that are the roadblocks that are like, well, that doesn't fit with this. That doesn't fit this character of him in this person, in this part. And why would he do this? And that's causing me to question his existence and, and the validity of it all. Those aspects don't exist. And that's what makes it so hard because yeah. the God we've learned, the God we've believed his characteristics, these things are dynamic with that with that version that we've been that we've constructed it doesn't exist so we're trying to search for it and we can't find it because that's the part that oh no that's not real that that, Mm -hmm. that's not who god is god's over here it looks like this Mm -hmm. that's not him that's why you can't find him that's why you're having so hard to connect because he's not that's not him he's everywhere but the version you're trying to attach your connection to those elements are not real we've made that up which is a whole thing in itself too, yeah. but it's just interesting, you know? It's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, you mentioned earlier the term responsible faith, yeah. and that's really intriguing to me because yeah. that's a whole thing. What, I mean, so many tracks of my mind go off in different places of, of and regarding that idea of what a responsible faith is, mm-hmm. because I know in my life that's been abused yeah. before. Not yes. always with, with that term, yeah. right? It's not always That's said responsible so faith. Sometimes it's just said it as, uh, oh, faith. Oh, your faith is this. Yeah. The, what, what has equated to being a responsible faith is taken in so many directions that are hurtful, unhealthy, manipulative, wrong. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you just to start, how would you define a responsible faith? Maybe what you thought it was mm-hmm. before and what you think it is now or however you want to go with this. Yeah, so... I think before I really did kind of think that that idea of the childlike faith, that trust without question, I thought that was the ideal. And I used to mourn. I was like, I will always have this thorn in my flesh of doubt (laughs) and skepticism. And I hate it. And I wish I was like my friends over here who didn't. Mm -hmm. And, and I used to, you know, there's, there's that passage about God gives a measure of faith to people. And I was like, he did not give me much. I have such a <laughs> tiny measure. I have such a yeah. little measure. And, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, actually, but but then other Christians in my life would say, wow, your faith is so, you know, it, we all see each mm. other different ways. Yep. And it's not a comparison game, but as a three, it is. But um, anyways, just but bit, yeah. uh, just a little bit. A responsible faith as to define it is actually, hmm, is kind of tricky. I have, you know, aspects that I think are really important to it. But I think a responsible faith is really, when you think of a childlike faith, that idea that's often brought up in Christianity, I I think that we forget children do ask questions. Like my son is five now and it is like unreal the amount of questions I'm being asked all the time. Mm -hmm. But, and he doesn't always, I'm trying to raise my kids to, to think critically even now which of course looks very different at this age yeah but there are some things that i'll i'll say and they're like mm, i don't know mom. you know i'm just gonna be honest the other during christmas this year 
I was like, oh, Santa brought you stuff. And he's like, mom, Santa's not real. And I was like, who told you that? And he said, you. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't think, I don't think so. But all of that to say, I as sad as I was that I somehow have dashed the Santa story, which I know that's also a thing in Christian so circles. <laughs> um, but like, as much as I had kind of hoped to keep that going a little bit longer, there was a part yeah. of me that's like, I'm glad, you know, he's able to say what he thinks to me. That actually makes my heart as a parent swell like to see that growth in his understanding in his own agency truly and i think a responsible faith is taking agency in our faith and a lot of times people Mm -hmm. see that as a threat to god and i think that is so honoring to god like if if, if he created us with the capacity to be rational and to process things and to like i don't think we are meant to turn it all off Mm -hmm. i think we're actually meant to turn it all on Mm-hmm. And to explore the goodness of God and the goodness of this ultimate reality through our emotions, through our communities, through our minds. Like we're not meant to just turn them off and say, okay, it honors God when I'm silent and when I don't dig in. So I don't know if I really answered, but I think a responsible faith is, well, I'll just mention some of these aspects I've, ri- yeah, I've written yeah, yeah. here because they are big parts of it. I think self-awareness is hugely important to a responsible mm. faith. In part, I think we need to understand our origins of our own yeah. faith, of our personal faith. Why am I a Christian? And that I asked someone this once and it was the most frustrating thing. This was before <laughs> I did my podcast. This was like when I was in the middle of kind of a faith crisis during my master's, I asked you know, these uh, reformed yeah. friends of mine who, if you know about, it was just, anyway, they gave me the most like theological answer. They're like, well, we are Christians because God right. called us and in his grace. And I said, no, 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 no. Like, why are you? And right. what I really meant was, how did you get to this? I wanted them to say, well, I was raised this way. Not that that undermines right. the truth value. That doesn't right. undermine the truth value. And I think that's important. But so mm-hmm. many of us don't stop to ask ourselves, why am I here? Was it, right that church I went to that informed this idea? Was it the way that person interpreted this Bible passage? Was it, you know, my parents, because truly it is so true as much as this, you know, people say this over and over. If you were born in a different country in a different situation, Mm -hmm. probably a lot of us, unless you do believe, you know, in election and all of that, sure, we would be so different. So it's just important to be aware. How did I get here? That doesn't mean it's not true. Mm. to realize that we got here by very human means. All of us came to the faith by human means because a human had to tell us, <laughs> you know, right. and, and that's okay. Like, I think when we try to over-spiritualize the fact of our origins of our own faith, I, I think in a way it's almost a form of Gnosticism, which in the Bible was, mm. you know, one of these things of separating flesh from spirituality, saying like the humanness of us is kind of bad. Well, no, God yeah. embraces that. Like God embraces Anyway, that's a whole nother theological tangent. But I think <laughs> yeah. understanding the origins of why we are Christians, why we are this kind of Christian, why we think this way about God, that's super important having a responsible faith because it's aware. And then I think the second part is understand the implications of our faith, which I did not, and I still don't fully. And yeah. talking to people has helped with that. But so for instance, the idea of original sin, as we have been taught, and which I'm realizing is stemmed you know, I thought that was definitely all over the Bible. Well, that's it. You can draw it from the Bible, but that was something that was later developed in many ways over church history, this idea of original sin. Anyways, this, how has that informed how I think of people, how I'm interacting with people on a daily basis? Because it does, when you look at someone and first see sinner, 
instead of seeing image of God, like it, it impacts it and subconsciously. Right. You know? And so just starting to kind of become more aware of the implications of what we believe. And that's something that's important for more than just faith. I mean, if we could do that with our whole lives, it would be so helpful. Now I understand though, as much as I'm like, do this, everyone, like we are people who have actual lives who have to yeah. go to work and have families. So to, for everyone to sit and podcast like you and I do, I know is not you right. know, feasible for people sure. to dig in. But I think we are all to use, you know, the very Christian word of called. I think we are all called to do that as much as we are able within our own actual lived experience. You know, yeah. I think many of us come to the point where we are able to sit and think a little deeper about this stuff. And, and we need to, we need to not brush it aside. I think a big part of a responsible faith is asking the questions when things don't make sense. So mm -hmm. the church often will say, you know, his ways are higher. Don't, you know, it, it, God has a plan you don't understand, but you need to trust the, the, this right. Bible. The, the thing about the Bible, I could, Oh, I've talked so much about the Bible on my page. I love the Bible in many ways, but I think it has become another idol in many cases to, yeah. to compete with God because we don't realize we always approach the Bible with the lens. There is mm -hmm. no way to read the Bible without a human perspective because guess what? You're a human reading it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's innately. That's what happens. It is. And humans wrote it. And granted, so whatever you think about inerrancy and all of that, like yeah. there are still these layers that we are approaching this text with. And so to say, well, it's clearly there, so that's just it. No, no, no. I think it is actually more responsible for us to say that doesn't make sense. I need to dig in. I'm going to ask. I'm going to do a little bit of research. I'm going to, I'm going to think on that, you know. And again, I understand people have real lives and are busy, but yeah. I think that's part of being responsible. It's less responsible. And I actually think less glorifying to God to say, uh, I don't know, but God said so. So, right. you know, wiping my hands of it. Like he created us with these mental capacities to do more than that. So let's honor God with that, you know. Because real quick, what, ha what happens with that, if you go, oh, I don't know, but God says that, what happens is so many things that God didn't say end up becoming the rules of your life. Exactly. So many things because you allow it. Oh, God said it, but he didn't say it. Anyway, yeah. continue. Exactly. Well, and there's a lot of people that will say it's clear in the Bible. It's clear in the Bible. And, he, and here's right. what I would say. Yes, you can find that written in the Bible, but is it clear if that's addressing you? Is it right. clear that that's addressing all people for all time? Is it uh -huh. like that just because that one statement is clearly typed in your Bible, we're jumping quickly from that to a clear application. And the application mm -hmm. is not often is not nearly as clear. Right. And so that's just some of those things that's helpful. I think the collective body of Christ needs to start thinking a little bit more in that way. And we would do so much better. And so we would help our own con congregants with their own personal questions but we'd also be so much more respected by the world. Mm. It, it just would help. And I think it's very responsible to do that. Yeah. And then the, the, the third thing I was so convicted of this early on. And for me, this is absolutely a part of a responsible faith, but there are some caveats to it. I, I wrote abandoning false ideas when they're proved false or proved <laughs> to be yeah. less likely. And, and the thing about that is, that requires an intense amount of bravery that sometimes we are not quite ready for. So I used to say, I used to say, I don't think you should call yourself in deconstruction unless you are fully willing to abandon Christianity. Mm. I used to say that. And I thought, Ooh, look at me. I am. Well, so. I am. Yeah. And now, and I posted about that a little bit and I've had some pushback. And I think that the pushback actually is, wins out. Yeah. I've had people say, 
that seems like, first of all, that seems like you're gatekeeping. Like we always are saying, <laughs> oh, evangelicals gatekeep. That seems like gatekeeping. I was like, okay, that's a fair point. Yeah. But but some people will deconstruct one idea. They'll say, right. this feels off. I am nowhere. I'm not even I'm considering abandoning Christianity, but I need to do. Sure. And, and that is still a deconstruction. I think it is mm-hmm. true. I've changed my mind to think that should still be considered a deconstruction and that should still be honored as such. Now, mm-hmm. for me, and I do think for many people, I do think for many people, it is the most responsible thing if our psyches can handle it to truly sit and ask ourselves, if Christianity was either proven false, which I don't think you can actually do, you cannot prove it false, right. but if it's proven to be less likely than the alternatives, would I be willing to walk away? And for right. a long time, I said yes. And I will tell you this winter, I am like realizing the layers, like I said, that coping mechanism that would be excruciating to mm-hmm. undo. And I want to get to a point where I would fully be able to do that, which I thought this whole time I was, but I want to get to a point where I'd fully be able to do that because I want my relationship with God to be built on something that is not dependent in these unhealthy ways, dependent mm-hmm. on God to just exist as a human who is functioning. Because you see atheists who are functioning and functioning well without that belief. So the reason that's important is I think it is a truer love for someone when you are saying, I'm approaching you and I'm loving you because you're lovely, because you're true, because, you know, not because if I don't, I'm going to fall apart. I'm going to have a mental breakdown. I'm going to have an. Right. A, no, that's and that's not everyone will agree with that because we are so ta- no. we're so taught like you need to be dependent on Christ like you need to, and I do think that there is a way you are but there's a different kind of dependency I'm talking about that actually hinders closeness instead of fostering it and I think we see that in human relationships too when you become so codependent on someone you can't love them for them you love mm. them for what they are to you in your context and I want to get to the place where I love God for God. I mean, yes, God does so much for us, but it's it's a, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making sense, but. No, you are. You'd be able to, I think, sit down and say, what ideas would I be willing to abandon? It's extremely terrifying. And I do think extremely responsible if we're able to to look at it. So those are some of the three things. There's There's many other things. Sure. But those three really popped into my head as we were brainstorming for our chat. So. Okay, I had yeah. a thought on the last thing you said first, because just the other day, not for the first time, but just the other day, I was thinking about certain specific beliefs I was toying with, and I was thinking, okay, I'm I'm altering. I was in the process of altering or toying with an altering of an idea that I had stuck with for a long time. And I'm I'm like, okay, I think I believe more of this side of that now after however long. But if tomorrow I was given evidence, 100 percent evidence that the other was right or this vice versa. Would I have no problem just abandoning that and going back? I think so. But it's such an important question because yeah. I sound like I'm judging somebody I don't know, but like I'm confident that there's a large group of people who would be fine staying if it was proven, you know, it's, it's just human. Well, yeah, they've told me <laughs> I, you're oh, right. Yeah. Because oh, I've, yeah. I, I've, I ask people uh-huh. and, and they say, no, I'd stay. And right. that's so interesting because and I think that that is when I'm trying to talk about this unhealthy dependency, that is what it is. Because if you're actually mm-hmm. following after Christ as the truth, the way, the truth, the life, you wouldn't stay with something untrue. Mm-hmm. And so what are we actually following if it's not that? So anyway, that's no, I think yeah. you're right. But I will say, you know, when I'm also talking about these coping mechanisms and how this is this has been something apparent 
within the last year. So as a, when I was a teenager, I, I struggled with, it was never diagnosed, but yeah. I believe anorexia. I shouldn't joke about this. I always say I was a failed anorexic. Like I was off the radar oh, gosh, yeah. because I couldn't quite accomplish the mission. Yeah. You might, I don't know if you want to take that. Anyways, that's <laughs> terrible. That's terrible to say. Like, and I didn't quite like yeah, yeah, yeah. look the usual part. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't laugh. Anyways, <laughs> and I struggled with, you know, body dysmorphia. Sure. And so how I dealt with that was these Bible verses about my body is God's, my body's a temple, you know, all of that. And I was like, okay, it's basically like dealt with, like that's dealt with. God has dealt with that issue. Uh, still had ne negative thoughts, but like, meh, I'm not doing anything about it. And in deconstruction, yeah. and this is kind of embarrassing to admit as in someone who's a parent now of three yeah, kids, right. and have, my, have a master's degree. And in some of my mm -hmm. darker moments of the past year, it was like all this stuff, all this stuff came back. And I was just like, oh, that temptation. Oh, it's there, it's there, it's there. Mm. And it's like, where are all these buffers? Where are all these buffers? And it was like this realization. You had not learned to love your body like mm. Christ called you to. You learned a crutch of right. not harming yourself because of this system of belief and these verses. But you did not actually get the love and the healing. Mm -hmm. and, and it's only been through this process of thinking, maybe God's not real. And I will say that happened when I talk about grief. That's one of it. It's so disturbing to me to think of a world without God. And, and that yeah. will, that will lead to some of these spirals occasionally. And, and then this thought of, well, my body only belongs to me. So not, why not do what I right. want with it? And it's like, okay, well, let's look into that. Like, have you actually changed your attitude or did you just mitigate your behavior? Mm. And so again, with, with really relating to God, because God is lovely and God is true, not because I need behavior management like i think that's mm -hmm. the start of our faith a lot and i think you know that's necessary for society but that's not what we're actually called to is just a religion that's behavior management we're called to truly as they say it's not a religion it's a relationship oh my gosh yeah <laughs> but it's true but right. i do think i do think like the calling is for something that's really as we said more responsible and more nuanced yeah and and that example that's a great example of just so many different Places that exemplify that we've placed the principle or the idea or the practice or the scripture over mm -hmm. relation. Okay, okay. So back to, right, stability in Christ or stability in our beliefs. Yeah. And then back to connect that with, would you ditch Christianity if it was proven, absolutely proven that it was not mm -hmm. true? People who wouldn't, wouldn't because, I would think, because of how many of the principles and tenets and foundations have become so interwoven with the way they view and live their life. Mm -hmm. And that's where the value is for them. Yes. And like, I'm thinking like if I, if I had like a, either a best friend or a significant other that you've known for 20, 30 years mm -hmm. and you're so close to, and you wake up one day and you realize, Oh, they were never real. First off that implies oh, yeah. that I'll, some oh. other, some other work you need to some do other. mentally, but, <laughs> but, Let's yeah. say you're fully there. It's just some weird, whatever reason. They were never, they were never there. Yeah. And you go, oh, okay, I'll, I'll keep living like they are. Yeah. And the rest of your life, you're still living like they are. What that, rather than the implications of what that means in the present, what did that mean about the dynamic you had before? Oh, and what does that show about that? Does it show like, in terms of what you value? Did you value them? Because they're not real. Or did you value the idea that they presented you with? 
That's and what no. them being what what them existing offered you rather than actually being them because if they're not real then it only has to do with what the idea of their existence had to offer you wow so if christianity is not true which okay so this whole thing is i believe it is yeah so too. all this is kind of null in that sense yeah but the difficulty is if it wasn't it outlines which is i believe so true about so many aspects of Christianity, because all Christianity is supposed to be is a vessel to Christ and to know him. Like if Christ was not real, here, okay, here's a, a different ask of this question is, if we knew for a fact and it was proven that Christ and God wasn't real, mm-hmm. would we still practice Christianity, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. Christ is the only reason Christianity has any value. Yeah. But if he wasn't real, so many people would still find the same amount of value in their place and their role in the religion of it, mm-hmm. which shows the point. disconnect because there's no, the only reason Christianity exists is as a connection to that. Well, that is such a good point. I was just going to say, so that's the only reason it started, but I think it has become to exist because of these other reasons of community, of stability, of right. a direction. And let, let's just, those things are good and we are yeah, need, sure. we need those we need community we need stability mm-hmm. we need those things and i think this idea of being fully independent fully i don't know what the right terms are to be yeah. fully not codependent i don't know that we're actually called i think we are meant to lean on things so there's yeah. always nuance there's always nuance oh yeah absolutely but i think it's one of those things where we have to realize like i think we sometimes actually forget even though we're taught we as christians or as people of faith and it's funny cuz i have kind of I have trouble with the word Christian now, not because I don't follow Christ, but because it is so often tied to things that are political, yeah. so often tied to particular ideologies. I'm like, that's not even talked about in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I will often say Christ follower, and I try, and it seems like yeah. I'm splitting hairs, but there's a reason for that because I want- No, but I understand. Yeah. You know, but I think that, so the things that are stable, stabilizing to us as humans yeah. are needed. Mm-hmm. I think it is one of those things, though, this isn't just another stabilizing social event, though. We are claiming this is ultimate truth, the ultimate good news for the world. And that's where I think we need to be brave enough to say, if it's not true, I would walk away. Mm -hmm. It'd be a little bit of a different thing if you're talking about, like, you know, your group of friends and you think that they're this one way and then you find out actually they're, you know, a little shady. I don't know. Like they're actually a little bit whatever, but it's like, but it's, it's my friend group. Like I'm still here. I I don't know. There's this, we're talking about like what many of us as Christians claim to be the most important thing about not just our lives, but everyone's life, the whole universe. And that's one of those Mm -hmm. things where I say, I, I think in that case, walking away would be the responsible thing. And I I, I think mm. in most cases it would be, but the fact is it comes at a cost to our psyche right. and our inner stability. So you talk about the imaginary scenario. That is such an interesting scenario. And I was actually mm. thinking of like an old person. Yeah. An old person. Would I tell them you need to start living like that person's not there? You know, if they're near, if they're in their last year of life, I might be like, mm. no, no, don't. Like it's no. Right. But this is different than that i think like right. this we're talking about something that is supposed to affect the whole cosmos not just mm-hmm. our lives and so that's where i think yes to continue living like your imaginary friend was real in this case is irresponsible because yeah. 
you're also saying your imaginary friend is the most important thing in any of our lives. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Not right. just yeah. not just yours. And and granted, I don't want people to think I think that this is an imaginary friend, but um, from my perspective, but I right, just think right, it's right. important, heavy, weighty things to consider and see. And I I, I want to applaud anyone who takes after our chat, who takes some internal stock and who says, wow, yeah. I don't know that I would have been, you know, the fact right. that we can be self-aware, even if the answer is no, I couldn't walk away. Like that is still to be applauded. Like that oh, yeah. understanding of yourself. I, I, I still think, as you know, my opinion, like I would encourage you to try and work in that direction of being able to, if you need to, yeah. but just that taking that personal stock is so needed and so not done. It's so not You're done right. in the church. Mm-mm. And, and I think, yeah. So, and that's one of those things I used to harp on shamelessly and be like, if you can't walk away from the faith, like if you couldn't, like you're just, and now I'm like, yeah. it would destroy, it would hurt me so badly. So I right. understand, I understand the risk, but I think this particular topic is the one in particular, if we really say it's about truth and ultimate love and ultimate goodness, like if it's not that yeah, we need to chase what is if we can. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. I have, like one final thing about that is one more hypothetical or not hypothetical, but like my mind keeps going off these different things. My thought was the difference between someone who would walk away if they knew it wasn't real and someone who would stay. Mm. A big thing is it kind of shows how much the reality means to them and how much gravity, mm. the truth of it being real matters. Yeah. And I would think for those who would walk away, and everyone's on their own journey. And, and what you're saying, like, there's no judgment on anybody where they fall on that right now. Yeah. But for someone who, if it was proven to be false and not true, would walk away immediately. For me, that would signify that, oh man, if it's real, and they believe it's real, they really have thought and accepted the gravity of what that reality means for them. Mm, and so yeah. I would bet I would be able to see how much that relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. really affects them and how much they intentionally allow that to influence how they're living. Yeah. Right? That's so true. The witness is so different in that case. Oh, right. right. Like if it's all if it's all farce, I'm out because everything about me rests on that it's real. Mm-hmm. And it's a real it, like it's it's not just the things that I do, but it's in terms of this relationship with Christ, it's mm-hmm. no. It being real means so much. That's kind of what what Paul says about how Christianity, just about the death and resurrection of Christ itself, how without that, Christianity is a farce. Like, if that's not true, nothing nothing is. We're to be pitied, right? It's all just complete nonsense. And it's the same thing of like, if you really have accepted that, oh, no, I'd walk away if it wasn't true, because they understand the gravity of what it being real means, right? And that goes into like, I know for me, what I've realized in myself is that being born into Christianity, so many of the implications of Christ and the Bible, all the stuff of these truths, what I believe to be truths, so many of the implications of what that means are so underplayed mm. and made so shallow. Like, and this goes, okay, one example of, you know, the whole hell thing of if you believe, which I, I don't believe this anymore, but if you believe, so many denominations preach that, oh, if these people aren't reached out to, they're being sent to the fiery pits of hell to be tortured for eternity. Mm-hmm. So many denominations preach that. And yet the people in there are like, oh, yeah, I'll reach out every 
see somebody, hey, you want to come to my church? If I believed that, if I believed that anybody who doesn't know God would be sent to be tortured for eternity, mm-hmm. would I not be scrambling to tell every single person? Because if mm-hmm. that was real, which I don't believe it is, and thank, I, I thank God that's not how I believe that to be that the case in that yeah. sense of that. If that was real, and we understood that was real, and I'm not out there telling every single person, I feel like I am morally failing as a, as a human because that's mm-hmm. so real. Take that to, man, Christ is real. That love is real. How does that transform your life? You believe, oh man, it's so real. Yeah. I don't know. Tangent, oh, I, but you know. No, I think that's really true. When you see someone who, like, like you said, you can tell when someone is in love, right? <laughs> With someone. Right. And, yeah. and I think it's different, but it's, it's similar when you can tell and granted, we can be in love with something fake, but true. When you, if you knew that person had the mindset of if this was, if I knew it wasn't real, and I am investigating, and they end up in love with, like, wow, right? That's powerful. That's so powerful, right? And I, mm-hmm. I do want to put one little caveat because yeah. this is this is very telling of how I am on my show <laughs> and like myself. I go back and forth, back and forth. So one little mm-hmm. caveat. To being willing to walk away. I have a very, a very close friend now. I made, uh, like, honestly, like my best friend from, uh, that I met because of my podcast is an atheist yeah. and we bounce out and yeah. born an atheist. Like, I did not realize how few people I know who are like raised atheists. You know, I know right. atheists that left, but truly, mm. um, anyway, he was telling me, he said, you know, cause at one point I was like, are you trying to turn me into an atheist? like honestly he's like i would never want to take your faith away because he said when you are an atheist truth is more irrelevant it's about Mm. serve it's like what kind of life am i going to have in this very limited time so he was saying in the scenario with the imaginary friend i would assume he would say like no believe that person is still there believe that and so it's just such a funny interplay of Mm. ideas and of ways of thinking through things. Granted, he can't make himself believe in God if he doesn't think God. Sure. You know, but it was such an interesting thing. So I I, I bring that up to say, you know, I, as much as I'm here saying, like, you need to follow the truth. Like, you need to be willing to give anything up for the truth. There's a part yeah. of me that is like, it is important to weigh your mental well-being, your emotional well-being, and your family, too, yeah. which I think you would say as well. But hearing it from an atheist perspective, because mm. he talked about how hope is, I think— Hope can be different for an atheist, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how he wished, even if it wasn't 100% certain that he had some of this this hope right that Christians have at times. Yeah. It's easier. It's easier. And and to cope, truly to cope. So yeah. we have to take stock of where we're at. Can we cope? Mm-hmm. And I think we need to be moving in that direction of being able to cope with our lives if the worst yeah. outcome is true. We need to move in that direction with the hope. And, and and I mean, that's what we read in the Bible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for with this hope. Mm-hmm. As much as I want to be able to be okay if the truth was dark, I have a hope and I have reasons to believe it's not. And right. how beautiful and how rich is that relationship. But I think that that importance of taking that internal stock of where would I be? Would How would I, you know, that's something the church, it will hurt us, but it will heal us too. If mm-hmm. we could do that collectively overall. So I just feel like as much as I just yeah. want to put that caveat in because it's not nothing to mm-hmm. realize that we couldn't give it up. I'm in that season now where I'm like, it would be much harder than I initially thought. 
and bring it back around to responsible faith. Yeah. That's what this is. This is, it's, it's asking yourself these questions to know where you stand, not to get to some place that you think you can be at. It's okay. Such a good point. But to think about, oh, if it wasn't true, where, what what would I do? And just knowing where you are so that the things that you receive from church sermons, from podcasts, from the Bible, from God, quote unquote, if it is or not, sometimes it's not, it is, sometimes it isn't to discern that. Whatever is being inputted into you, you don't have a correct and accurate lens to decipher it and discern that for yourself because you know where you yes. are, right? Exactly. Oh, yes. I would say so. I think that self-awareness, that sort of taking inner stock where you are is so, yes, Austin. <laughs> yes. And that goes into, it's so much preventative measures against, mm-hmm. you know, spiritual abuse and, and being taken advantage of, manipulated. And when, when you know where you're at, and have an, a, a, a faith that is yours because you've done some of the work to really analyze and question about why you believe this and where you are with this and what yeah. I would do with this, that people can't just tell you what exactly. to believe because exactly. you'll, they'll be able to offer you something. You'll be able to go, oh, do you believe that or not? Or what parts of that? They can't just say, oh, believe this because God said so. Because you'll go, oh, but does he? Oh, but do I think mm. that? And train exactly. those muscles just to do that is responsible faith, I think, you know? Yeah, I love that. Liz, last question I have for you. The question I ask every guest on the show. This podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which are the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we need to reevaluate our perspective on. So my question Mm. to you is, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or get a new understanding of? Austin, I have like so many. (laughs) So many. (laughs) But I think... After our talk, I think the one I want to focus on is that I have shifted my thoughts on seeing people primarily as sinful and depraved to seeing people Mm. as made in the image of God, Mm. first and foremost. And I know that seems kind of basic, like probably people are like, that doesn't even seem like a deconstruction thing necessarily. No, but it's huge. It is. And this came about because of my podcast in large part, Mm. because I have the fundamental understanding we are made in God's image and that we cannot actually escape that. And so it is a self, when I see someone, even someone who is so well articulated as an atheist and so reasoned, it's like I sit there and I celebrate, I I look at them and I say, wow, God gave them this intellect. God Mm. gave them this and God gave them their, this, I, this quest for truth. And I mm. am celebrating with the image of God that is in them. It's almost like at the end of yoga, they say, namaste, the light in me, yeah. sees the light in you. I'm like, that is so, but the thing is, I think we're taught to do that with Christians or with people we mm-hmm. think are going to become believers. But I probably the bigger tennis, the bigger thing that's more controversial that I've changed my mind on that has come into this is I believe Christ transcends Christianity. Christianity mm-hmm. is a system that has been built around Oof, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I I think Christ is bigger than that and is much more understanding of us than I think we realize. That doesn't mean I think all religions are true at all. All belief systems are true. But I think Christ looks into each of those and is able to see the image of God within each of the individuals in those and is working in every single paradigm and story in such a way. Mm. I don't know what that all means for salvation. I don't know what all that means exactly, but it has opened so many doors for me, so many doors of communication Mm -hmm. to look at someone and not need to change them 
and not right. need to try and bring them to Christ, but to be saying, I, my job is actually to recognize the Christ in you and draw it out instead. Mm. That is not how I, and I don't really think of this as a witness project necessarily, but bizarrely, right. I've had more people during this podcast tell me things like, you know, like you're really making me reconsider Christianity or whatever, things that I used to dream yeah. of in evangelicalism. Right. And I'm like, I'm not even trying to witness to you. I'm literally listening to you and, and connecting to what I believe to be Christ in you. And I don't need to even tell you. I don't even need to say that to them to try and do, sneak a little witness in there. It just happens mm -hmm. when you adopt that right. mindset. It really just happens. It's a paradigm shift. It is so, it's so interesting to see the world that way and, and to see humans that way. And it crosses so many barriers. Mm. You know, the ones that are hardest to cross with for me are the Christians. <laughs> those are the ones that are the hardest to cross with. And, and mm. those are the Christians because we, we've set up more walls sometimes, I think. So what does that mean for Christ transcending Christianity? You know, I'm still unpacking all of that, but I do think, yeah. I do think many people have encountered Christ and given a different name to Christ. And I don't think that's for not personally. Mm. I, I don't think God says, Ooh, you, you know, you said, you said Chris instead of Christ. So right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Right. That's so, so true. So anyway, I, I, true. I don't know. So anyway, that's been the biggest shift. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Once our mindset changes from, oh, everyone in the world around me who doesn't go to church and isn't a Christian is missing this thing, and we have to give it to them and bring them into our fold and make them one of us to give this to them. When that changes to, man, everybody has God in them, let me increase my awareness when every interaction, every person I come across in recognizing that. And through the interactions I have then with this person who I see Christ in and God in, that person is also able to become aware of that. And that is the thing, right? It changes from us going to somebody and saying, hey, here's all the things you don't have. Come to us and we'll help you get them. It's, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but look at all the things you have. You have God. You have Christ. You have all this stuff that you're not aware of. That, like you said. The, 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 I don't know, the ROI, the return on investment in that, because it's not some concerted effort to convert them. It's just showing them the value that, that they have. The world is, is, is thirsting for that. They're hungry for that, to know that they have value and to give that to them is incredible. And it's no wonder that that's the thing that makes them interested and wanting to know more because their hearts are yearning for that. And when they hear that, and when they start to feel that, that drives them into being, oh, man, I, I want to know more about that, about that God, about that Jesus, about that faith. But anyway, it's good stuff. That's all I got. Liz, it was so great. Such a great conversation. Mm -hmm. yes. Thank you for coming on and talking. Thank you, Austin. I'm so glad we got to reconnect here. And yeah, send your, send your listeners to uh, season three or on my show, and you just shared so many good insights. So I just appreciate you too. Love it. I'll link everything about you down below so everyone can go see your podcast. And do you have a website or no? Uh, Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> send I'll send them to Patreon. Patreon. Yes. Wink, wink. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes, do that. All right. Thank you so much, Austin. Of course. Guys, that is it for this episode. And that is it for season two. Thank you to all of you who have listened through this episode, who have listened through multiple episodes. For those who have listened to all 10 episodes, it's been a great season. 
Uh, if you want to check out Liz's podcast, Deconstructing the Myth, I will link it down below and to her Patreon. Uh, go check out some amazing conversations about really inspecting and analyzing and seeking answers in faith. Guys, this has been a great season. I am already super excited about season three. Got a lot of stuff in store and in the works. We'll be going on a, a bit of a break, not as long as the break between the first season and this season, but a couple weeks. And if you want to stay up to date with season three and beyond, I would highly recommend you follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook to know when the next season is starting, as well as any additional episodes or conversations or resources, etc. Everything's down below in the description. Last but not least, for the last time this season, I would love to encourage and ask that if you have been listening and enjoying these conversations, if you could do me a favor, and if you are on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave a star rating as well as on Apple Podcasts a written review. It does wonders for algorithms and presence online and is great for people who are looking into the podcast to see if it's worth their while. So if you could drop a star rating and a positive written review on those platforms, that would be amazing. It doesn't need to be an essay. It can just be a few positive words. Thank you guys in advance. Thank you guys for a great season. I will see you next season. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.